The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today. Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's Deeply mediocre UFC card going down to the apex. <laughs> like, come on. What am I? What, what uh, am I going to just call it a UFC card? No. There's a laugh for accuracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, going down at the apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a heavyweight top contenders bout, Sergey Pavlovich, Curtis Blades. And uh, we're talking about the prelims right now. With a uh, featured prelim between Ricky Glenn and Christos Giagos, really um, featuring two guys on the rise. <laughs> I really, this card really makes me wish I hadn't already burned my uh, Apex Nadir joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, whenever I uh, use that, I don't, I don't know. I, I still, I still like the my my penultimate fighting championship follow up, but. <laughs> that was also very good of course not, we, nothing we remember better than our own jokes right right yeah um yes yeah, so your joke made me laugh even harder than my own joke did a uh, rare feat <laughs> <laughs> so yeah ricky glenn christos jagos this is happening yeah. i guess both guys wanted a fight yeah i mean it's fine they're two mid-card lightweight action fighters they're facing one another. It'll be an action fight. Yeah, Just, I mean, I mean to be to be fair, like there aren't a ton of fights in this card where it's like this is terrible matchmaking or something. No, no. it's just like they all just get lumped together on these Apex cards. Yeah, this is the kind. Ricky Glenn versus Christos Yagos is the kind of fight where you know stick it in the middle of uh, Sterling Cejudo. The the UFC 288 card. Put it in the ESPN prelims. Yeah. yeah. You know? No one's like, going to complain. If it's good, it'll add something. If not, it doesn't matter. You got good yeah. fights anyway. It'll be part of your balanced diet. Yeah. Here it's just, you know, it, it's the all brand diet. Like, yeah. We're on the porridge diet here. Yeah. Uh, porridge diet. And for a condiment, gruel. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hmm. Delicious. Yeah, you know, I, I like Ricky Glenn. We both do. 
We both do. I think he is going to beat Christos Jagos up. Yeah. Um, Jagos, I mean, the, the, the trouble with this fight and with Jagos is that you never really know if Jagos is going to win until you see if he can take somebody down. Yeah. And that's really it. Like, that is his whole. Yeah. Can Christos Jagos win this fight? Did he get to take somebody down? And yeah. Ricky Glenn is a small, well, he's six feet tall, but he's he's a, he's a, he's a scrawny lightweight. Gangly. And so you never, you know, you can never be 100% with how physically, how well physically Glenn is going to match up with somebody. You know he's going to fight his ass off. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say he probably will get taken down. Yeah. Um, but that is not necessarily the thing that just uh, it consigns Ricky Glenn to death. Yeah. He is a a slow starting building fighter, uh, with the exception of his shockingly fast knockout of Joachim Silva, um, who, like most of his wins, sort of had the flavor of a comeback. It's too bad that he's not at featherweight anymore because then we could get Bill Algio versus Ricky Glenn. Oh, yeah. And that would be like just the ultimate two dudes who absolutely just want to scrap into infinity. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of my favorite uh, Ricky Glenn fights is uh, is this fight with uh, Georgie Karakanian. Mm-hmm. And that is one where, I mean, Karakanian to this day is still a pretty good fighter. Yes. He's, he's the epitome of like the old vet who has like a, a bunch of singular tricks that he can pull off. Yeah. And if those, if a couple of those tricks works, he's probably going to beat you. And if you have like, are a good athlete or a well with a well-rounded game and can stuff those tricks, then you can just, yeah. You can get back in this fight was back in 2014. Yeah. When uh, Karakani was still more or less in his prime. Yep. And yeah, he took he took Glenn down. Um, I mean, Glenn's game has like not changed at all since then. No. He took him down uh, early, as he likes to do to everybody. He was hitting him with much faster shots. And then um, Ricky Glenn, like, it's not just that he outlasts people. He does pick up on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will start stuffing the takedowns and he will start not only stuffing them, but then winning the scrambles. The thing is Ricky Glenn loves to stuff a shot and turn it into top position because he's actually really fearsome from top. Yeah. Um, he's one of these guys who uses his reach really well to sort of stand or gain posture over somebody, just rain down straight shots. And yeah, he went from completely losing that first round to just breaking Karakanian. I think it was a um like a corner stoppage after the round had ended because it was just such a brutal beatdown. Mm-hmm. And that just feels like kind of the way that Jagos will lose. Like he's Yeah. He he's a, a bright flame that, that burns hot but but brief. Yeah. He well he's he's a physical bully. If he can physically exactly, bully yeah. you then he can win. He can work his way to a scrambling, physical, bullying win. Uh, but if you start to push back on him, if you can push back on Giagos, then there's always gaps. Yeah. You know, it's a very rudimentary wrestle boxing style. He's not a great wrestler. He's not 
a good striker. He yeah. is a physical version of both things, and the physicality has to be constantly applied or, you know, the fact that it's not a very well-set-up takedown, the fact that he's throwing wild, wide hooks with leading with his face starts to become a huge problem. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things where, um, yeah, Glenn is um, outmatched physically. Literally, when is that not the case? Yeah. Yeah. He is never the faster or harder hitting, more explosive fighter ever. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to shock him when Giagos is quicker than him and starts hitting a takedown. He's going to be completely undeterred. And meanwhile, Christos Giagos has never lost the ability to be shocked when somebody that he has briefly bullied at the start of the fight manages to work their way back into it. Yeah. It shocks I mean, that, him every time and he tends to crumble. And that Dawson fight was a great example, too, because like Dawson. You know, he went right. He went right after Glenn, took him right down, and found immediately that Glenn was there to like sweep and scramble and yeah. roll and make every bit of it difficult. Yeah. And if he does that with Giagos, yeah, I think you're right. Giagos will probably start to fade, and we know Glenn won't. Yep. So yeah, I'll side with you here, picking Ricky Glenn. Uh, odds on the bout. Glenn is the favorite opened at minus 222 or 220 and is currently at minus 158. And Giagos opened at plus 193, currently down at plus 142. So those odds are getting closer. Uh, I, yeah, I, I guess Glenn isn't any kind of sure thing, but, uh, Guys like Kevin Aguilar, Miles Jury, Evan Dunham, mm-hmm. Lance Palmer, they all feel like more dedicated stylists than uh, than Giagos. Yeah. Who is just sort of like a bullying generalist. Yeah. All I right. I, I feel relatively confident in Glenn getting this one. Yeah. I, I... All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Hani Yaya. Montel Jackson. And um it is Ronnie, by the way. We've been saying Ronnie, he's wrong yeah, all these Ronnie, years. He's yeah, one yeah. of the the rare Brazilians who just decides to break their own made up rules. Right. Come on, Ronnie. Ronnie, yeah, yeah. And um I mean this is this is gonna be another fight where it, it maybe more so than most of his fights. So be a fight for Jackson where it, it you know, his uh, his own willingness to push the pace will probably play a big part in the fight. Because mm-hmm. Ronnie Yaya is the kind of fighter where, like, you know, he's not that athletic. He is nobody's idea of a technical striker. <laughs> he's not the best wrestler ever. He's four feet tall. He's four feet tall, <laughs> but if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Yeah. If you let, if you are just a little too calm and relaxed and you're like, oh, okay, I'll just, you know, he's in on my hips. That's no problem. Then suddenly you will find yourself like getting just dragged slowly one centimeter at a time to the canvas via rear waist body lock and this balding thin haired hobbit hobbit 
<laughs> just clinging to one of your legs, pulling you to the mat, and you're trying to punch him, and it just doesn't seem to be getting away. He's so sweaty. Why is he so sweaty all of a sudden? <laughs> you're two minutes into the fight, and he's just, like, greased suddenly. Yeah. Just exuding oil from his body. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly you're, you kind of lost that round. And then you had a really, you don't want that to happen again. So you do, you focus all of your energy on not letting him touch you. And suddenly he's out here kickboxing with you and he's just throwing wild shots and he's really tired, but he's really angry at you. And I love Ronnie. <laughs> I love him so much. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even push back on the, I mean, you're obviously comically exaggerating yeah. some of his traits. But I would put, say, I think Ronnie Yaya is a good wrestler. He is a good wrestler. He's just not a wrestler wrestler. Yeah, he's a, he's a great jiu-jitsu wrestler. Exactly. He's not going to... He, he's, he's, he's very much the bantamweight Damian Maya. And like, or I, I was thinking more like the bantamweight Sap, Saperbeck Safarov. <laughs> no, come on. Don't do that to him. <laughs> I know. I know. Ronnie doesn't deserve that. But yes, um, bantamweight Damian Maya. Ronnie fair. hasn't eaten out of a dumpster even once in his life. <laughs> That's true. So don't put that evil on him. <laughs> but yeah, he, he is, uh, he's not out here like hitting a great double leg or no. lat dropping people, No, but he is extremely good at getting to like strong starting positions, whether it's a single or a body lock or a rear waist cinch. Yeah. And then just constantly attacking his opponent's balance. Yeah. No, um, he really. That's why I mean. I, that's why I say it's just like you get guys get dragged to the map by Yaya like one centimeter at a time. Yeah, where it's just like all these little attacks on balance, on posture, on just you know relentless grinding. Yeah, uh, he's a very effective wrestler anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, given, yeah, given how messy everything looks. And Montel Jackson is a big powerhouse who has, he, he I mean, it's really frustrating watching his fight with Julio Arce. Yeah. Because, A, the boot, like the Rogan DC booth was like four minutes behind the action in front of them. <laughs> They basically came in with this idea that like Jackson is lazy and is just not trying to win. And that Arce had like the much better style and focus, despite the fact that Jackson was winning every round. Yeah. And it took them so long to come around to the idea that Jackson might actually be winning the fight. Love when that happens. And, but at the same time, like, they're not wrong about Jackson's unwillingness to really step on the gas. Yeah. It's just that he is so the ability for him to be naturally effective is so strong. Yeah. He is like a behemoth. It just feels like he should be out there pasting people. Yeah. He's a heavy handed. He's a lightning fast. He's got good form on his strikes. 
mm-hmm. and he's he's a pretty good strong wrestler like he came up as a wrestler uh you know in through high school and uh you know got to like train with the Olymp- at the Olympic Training Center in Marquette without out even I think going to college so was really clearly a standout wrestling talent whose game just never got advanced really mhm and but most, so much of what he wants to do, and you see him wrestle at times in MMA, but all of his enjoyment is clearly out of striking. Yeah. So even when he does wrestle people, it's always sort of like, oh, I did this. Now can I undo it? Like, can I stop wrestling you and we'll go back to striking? And I really regret that I took you down because I don't want to hold you. And like, this isn't any fun. So it does. It does make him frustrating in that way. I can understand why DC and Rogan got so far behind on calling that fight. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. got to you've got to pay attention to the fight that's actually going on and not it's just the, the narrative that you've seen on tape. It's the Joe Rogan podcast live edition, whenever those two yeah. are together. Yeah. It, his, his, you know, I, we've talked about it before, but his whole thing of like, I don't do any tape study. I don't, I don't do any prep. It worked okay when he was doing every single event. And now every event he does is a hundred guys, you know, 15 guys he's never seen fight before because they've never fought on pay-per-view. And he's just sort of coming in with a guess. And that really is the difference. Like he was just plugged in without a choice before. He, he, He just was following all of these guys' stories and careers. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Now he just he just doesn't know who they are. Uh, yeah. D- DC, like I will always stick up for DC as a commentator because I do think he's trying. Um, he is trying, but he, he... he gets suckered into the worst episodes of his commentary when he is paired with Joe Rogan. He, he is a follower as a commentator. Yeah. He's a gregarious guy like he. Oh, no, I like, think he's got a great I mean, much more than Dominic Cruz. Yeah. More than you know, and and more than most fighters, more than Felder, he's got a great natural charisma on the mic. Sure. Yeah, and I just mean the gregariousness that he just gets drawn into other people's conversations. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> he likes talking to people. Um, but he actually does research, like you can tell, and he's yeah, he he has to because he his memory is a sieve. <laughs> yeah, he's got to watch a bunch of footage probably the night before. Yeah, like he. You know, like Bisping, I remember talking him and Bisping talking and they're talking. I think it was maybe it was this. No, it was a, a, an Adrian Yanez fight. And, mm-hmm. you know, DC was like, man, it's so, you know, I had to go bu- watch a bunch of uh, footage on Adrian Yanez and like get used to you know, I'm seeing this stuff and that stuff. And Bisping was like, you don't know who Adrian Yanez is? And DC's like, no, I don't know. Like, and he's, I don't, I'm not just watching all. You know how hard it is to remember all the names of the kids I coach and wrestling. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> this thing's like, no, I watch all this stuff. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know? And as, cause that is part, I will say, you know, for us doing these shows, like I do, I go through and I do some tape study and all that, but I don't do deep dive tape study because I do watch every fight every week. 
Yeah. Oh, I still have to see, see, that's because we have different brains. I, I absolutely forget people until I start watching the fights I've already seen. I'm like, Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. The memory was in there somewhere, but it needed to be to get refreshing. Like, Oh yes. No, I remember when I watched this, you know what, when I'm watching this fighter, I'm seeing the problems of like, yeah, their, their spacing, their footwork, Oh, they, you know, their comfort in defensive positions, things like that. I get those little reminders, but otherwise I'm like, okay, I know, you know, I know who Ronnie Yaya is. I know who Montel Jackson is. Right. Yada, yada. Anyway, let's get back into this fight. Um, Speaking of uh, commentators getting off on uh, tangents, we just yeah. had a tangent about commentary tangents. Yeah. It was just because it was so bad for doing the research for this. <laughs> I. Anyway, I is think, Ronnie Yaya's extremely limited but so shockingly effective game going to work? Because basically, will Montel Jackson let Ronnie Yaya continue to grapple with him after he gets tired? Yes. And I am going to pick Jackson to win because I think he's one of those fighters who is just improving dis- despite himself. Yeah. I think it's just he. the more time he spends in the cage, the better he gets. And it's just a natural side effect of being pretty competent and being a very good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he has a real test here because yeah. Jackson does tend to just kind of, you know, he wants to have a style of fight that makes his fights more competitive than they need to be. Yeah. He wants to be out in like middle distance trading. Like he, you know, he, he kind of like he's kind of doing the Brad Tavares thing as mm-hmm. a much better athlete. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's just like, why did you just take this round off? Why are you, you just beat this person's ass. Why don't you just keep doing that? So this will provide an interesting test of that because Hani Yaya, like I say, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You you leave the door open, and he will come into your house and steal all of your stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, guys like Montel Jackson is another uh, is like the the opposite side of the coin of my fondness for fighters like say Rafa Garcia last weekend. Yeah, who's like nobody's idea of a great physical specimen and is not obviously talented and. Um, he put in a performance that was workmanlike in the best possible way. Yeah. Because of that, I think. Like, it is a direct response to, like, you, if you're Rafa Garcia, you don't get bored of winning the fight. Yeah. Until Jackson's like, all right, that worked. Like, guys like Rafa Garcia, if something works, they keep doing it. Yeah. Montel Jackson's much more, oh, that worked. I should, I should do something else. Like, that yeah. was easy. Why, why do I want to do the easy thing? Right. He's, he is setting the bar for himself like at will. And so he's kind of, uh, it's just, just, he just gets very loosey goosey and aimless. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I am also inclined to pick him. I mean, I just think he's, I just think he's probably too innately good and big for Ronnie. Yaya. Yeah. Like that's the thing is that with, with Haniaya too, he, he, you give him an inch, he'll take him out. But if you can just like, kind of body him a little bit uh-huh. you can also just destroy ronnie honey whole ronnie Ayaz whole game yeah you know yeah and he he is i mean he is self-destructive as a fighter he yeah he has to put a ton of energy into out grappling these people 
um, and getting them down in the first place, and then even more energy in his incredibly inefficient striking. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, he's 38 years old. He's on a two-fight win streak, and the last win was a good one, Kyung Ho yeah. Kong, but it was a win he would not have gotten had Kyung Ho Kong just decided to shut him out of the fight. Yeah, Kyung, Kyung Ho Kong is another one of those dudes where you're just like, yeah, man, just, just please, for the love of God, do the smart thing you did two minutes ago five more times. I don't even remember what was the he he I all I remember is he made a an obviously critical error. He just like insisted on continuing to wrestle and grapple with an obviously exhausted Ronnie Yaya. Yeah, it was something like Yaya going for a single and Kong just trying to like hit a switch like, uh, or something and like roll through it. Trying to like, like leg lock him or drop for a guillotine or something. Yeah. Um, the new one invited him. Yeah, and it's like, what? Why? Why? Just literally, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. He just wanted to have a fun fight, you know. Yeah, yeah. I love Kyung Ho Kong too for that reason. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, Montel Jackson, I think, can like without having to try, kind of easily rebuff a lot of Yaya's wrestling. Mm-hmm. I still remember how way back in 2018 he just sort of effortlessly shut down a shitload of Ricky Simone's takedowns. Yeah. His, his, um, his ability to just take one of his gigantic hands, grab a wrist, yeah. and control a person's entire arm. Just peel Ricky Simone off him. Ricky Simone, a very good athlete. Yeah. A strong, explosive athlete. And just like, all right. You yeah. know, like taking the taking the, the cap off of a Coke bottle. Just yeah. removing his hand from his leg. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, and I just think that's too much of a physical golf for me to expect 38-year-old Ronnie to uh, to, to clear at this point. Mm-hmm. I agree. Odds on the bout. Yaya is a massive underdog. Opened at plus 435. It's currently up at plus 455. Jackson opened at minus 562. It's currently at minus 595. That's a little too wide on Montel Jackson for me. You know, like, yeah. Brett Johns isn't the world's greatest athlete. And he just went out there and took a dedicated game to to Montel Jackson and beat him. You know, mm-hmm. he Jackson let Felipe Calaris like go to war with him. That's true. You know, there are definitely going to be some weird lapses and Ronnie Aya is a super uh, dedicated, determined fighter. So, yeah, I'm not saying Jackson shouldn't be the favorite, but oh like, no, yeah, there is a part of it that's just like he doesn't he doesn't fight to win the way an elite fighter does. <laughs> yeah. And it's underrating Ronnie. I mean, even, yeah. even this version of Ronnie still has like a good round against everyone. Yep. All right, that brings us to a women's featherweight bout. Carol Hosa, Norm, Norma Dumont. I almost want to be like Carol Rosa now because I know I'm saying Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been saying it in my head while we've been talking here. Yeah. Rosa. Damn it. Carol, Carol Hosa against Norma Dumont, and uh, ha- the the continually sliding scale of just how capable and good is Norma Dumont. Because you were like, 
Man, also, I think Danielle Danielle Wolf is gonna beat her. Last did week. I? I think you did. No, no way. No way. I don't think so. You gotta look that up while I talk because okay, it's supposed to be me. You better look that up okay. <laughs> before you lay that at my goddamn feet. If anything, I think I think it's Carol Hosa that I have been banging the drum for. No, you've definitely been banging the drum for. I'm saying that you you felt that. Uh, that uh, Norma Dumont is bad. Oh, I think Norma Dumont is, and another Brad Tavares on this card. Basically, I think she's very solid. She just doesn't always seem to know how to like go out there and win a fight. No, we did both pick Dumont. You're right. Yeah, you. Danielle Wolf over Dumont. Come on, what am I? No, I I think Dumont is is quite good. I think she's she's not nearly as good as she should be given the yeah. skills that she has. Um. She's too patient. She's, I mean, that's really it. I mean, that's the yeah. main issue she has. She's too patient. She's too patient, and she, I mean, she doesn't know how to grapple either, it's, which isn't a huge uh, deal in her in the featherweight and bantamweight divisions, no. but it is a problem. Yeah, it could very well be a problem here because Carol Hosa yeah. will will try to wrestle her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, my I, I I'm I'm kind of wondering. How good or bad is Carol Hosa? Because yeah, that is a question. She has been looking a little shaky for some time now, hasn't she? I she think... got dropped quickly by Lena Landsberg of all people. Yeah, just I mean, it wasn't like a hard knockdown. She just got punched, hit hit pretty clean while throwing a naked low kick. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, she just uh, she does seem to have a weird like either lackadaisical or hesitant vibe in some of these fights. Yeah, it seems it seems to me that there's a like her fighting style works great when her opponent doesn't want to clinch with her or control her when she can control and dictate the nature of uh whether she's striking or clinching or wrestling yeah rosa's game or hosa's game looks good so you know betch cohea she's happy to brawl jocelyn edwards she's happy to brawl vanessa mello she's happy to brawl to brawl laura procopio she's tiny uh but lena landsberg and sarah mcmahon they both have, I mean, McMahon is, of course, a dyed-in-the-wool wrestler mm-hmm. who really gets in her own head if she has to strike too long. But Landsberg has been trying hard to rebrand herself as a wrestler because her striking is not potent enough to work. Yeah. And and and, and the funny thing is that in that fight, like, she got the first wrestling advantage on Hosa. She had that weird yeah. knockdown. She rushed her, and Hosa was like, I'm not sure what to do. And then she realized she could out-wrestle Landsberg. And then she yeah. kind of crushed her. I mean, yeah. the moment round two came out, she was like, oh, this woman's going to wrestle me. I'm just going to take her down first. Yeah. But okay. then Landsberg also was able to just hold her up against the fence in the last round. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, like, I think people who are willing, who want to just physically press uh, Hosa, they make her have to make uncomfortable decisions. They They... They make her have to figure out what she wants to do immediately in response instead of getting to figure out what she wants to do on the front foot 
when she's, you know, just getting to strike with somebody. And then she can mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to throw a jab here or no, I'm going to shoot in and shoot a double leg or I'm going to clinch and throw a knee. And this is all happening on my terms because mm-hmm. you just want to stand in front of me and brawl. And yeah, I think that that probably makes this Dumont fight a pretty good one for Hosa, frankly. I, I think so, too. I mean, I, I do think it, it has the potential to it, we might see some interesting clashes here because Dumont, for, for all of her over patience, it is because she is a pretty solid counterpuncher. Yeah. And um, Hosa will get on an offensive role with her striking and put a ton of output out there. Um, she'll walk on to stuff and she will walk on to things. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, fortunately for her, it mostly comes off the jab, but not always. I mean, she yeah. will throw uh, naked low kicks. She will throw combinations that are too long. Um, she will take ugly shots. Yeah. But um, she is going to get a ton of time to work and very little pressure put on her. Yeah. And uh, I think you're right. Those do feel like the matchups that Hosa tends to flourish in. And then, she she's a perfectly willing wrestler in her own right. Yeah, and that's a big mistake or problem for Dumont is that so, yeah. if she's put on her back, she really struggles. Anytime Dumont gets a read on the counterpunching, Hosa, it seems like she can probably just grab a single and run her to the ground. Yeah. Hosa, uh, Hosa opened at minus 142, is currently at minus 103. Uh, Dumont opened at plus 128 and just plummeted in the past couple of days from plus 128 to minus 114. So uh, Dumont is now the very slight favorite in a fight that is mostly just being seen as dead even. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that makes any sense, frankly. Um, Dumont has basically beat uh you know she beat she had two non-fights that she won against (laughs) felicia spencer and aspen lad where both women just opted to not really fight her at all in long-range kickboxing contests yeah and then otherwise she beat daniel wolf and ashley evan smith who are two of the worst most inconsistent talents in the UFC when it comes to like, I mean, Daniel Wolf is just, she's not good at MMA and never will be ever. Accuse me of picking her over Norma Dumont. And you, then, you with your, you with your steel trap memory too. And then Ashley Evan Smith. Well, you know, the nice thing about being known for a steel trap memory is that I can weaponize it. Yeah. How convenient. No, I remember this. I'm pretty yeah. damn sure. And you got, then you, you got to just go along with it. Cause what do you know? I didn't go along with shit. I knew you were wrong about that. <laughs> I was like, that's I can tell you. obstinate ass though. I, like, no, that's... I can, I can tell you how I knew you were wrong right away. Huh. Cause I don't remember Danielle Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pick her, I'd remember her. All right, all right. So my bad memory actually saved me there. Uh, And then, yeah, Ashley Evan Smith, who's just one of the worst tactical decision-making fighters in the UFC. So, yeah. You know, otherwise, Macy Chasen went out there and refused to have Dumont's fight and won. Yeah, and also, I mean, Megan Anderson knocked her out. It's It's really just like two fighters who are not particularly clean, but like 
are aggressive and know how they want to beat their opponent. It just Dumont just gives too much. She she allows too much leash. Yep. Like you, you, being patient is great for a counter puncher, but you also have to know how to seize little bits of initiative. Mm-hmm. And that is something that she does not do. She just waits. And that is not good counter punching. All right. Now we get to the heavyweight fight that is absolutely guaranteed to be two men getting very tired and slogging for the last 10 minutes. Uh, Muhammad Usman, Junior Taffa. They found another one. Yeah. Another Taffa. And these guys got, they got to be brothers, right? Yeah, they are. They look so similar, too. No, yeah. And so Junior Taffa, to his credit, he has almost no MMA experience. He does have a lot of other combat sports experience. He's done a little boxing, done a little Muay Thai, done a bunch of kickboxing. That makes sense. He he is a comfortable combination puncher, which Muhammad Usman is absolutely not. But he is also just he, he is not a technical striker. He is a unstructured wild man who will chain combinations together in the pocket in a desperate bid to knock you out before you knock him out. Uh, You know, even Junior Taffa's easiest MMA wins have just turned into absolute wang and brawls where he is standing in front of somebody squared up, throwing as many punches as possible to try and get his opponent out of there. Before he gasses out. And sometimes he does gas out. And then it just gets ugly. Uh, Uglier. (laughs) And Muhammad Uthman is your classic athlete learning to fight while fighting. Yeah. And he is rigid. Just. Real William Knight vibes. Yes. Guy looks like a monster. Absolutely looks like a physical freak. Fights like he is constructed out of (laughs) four boards. Like. And and cheap ones too. Fragile ones. Because he fights. He's quite timid. Yeah. Like William Knight. He looks like a beast. And then he goes out and he's like, I don't know. Is this what I do? You've got your your torso board, you've got one board for each leg, and you've got one board for the boat that goes across the back for both arms. It's like a quintain. It just spins around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> there's no joints in the legs. There's no joints. Everything is so stiff <laughs> and just so disconnected. Like, yeah. Man, R- Ronda Rousey could teach him a thing about fluidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he hits like a truck, though. Mm-hmm. Man, clearly, because, you know. Just look at him. Obviously, Justin, he hits like a truck. Yeah. Justin Paiva was, or Paiva was tuning him up. Is it Justin? Pauga. Zach Pauga? Pauga. Pauga. Yeah, there we go. Forgetting my names here. But, uh. Pauka was tuning him up and he just went out there in the second round. Zach Pauka. There we go. Justin Pipe. Yeah, I said that. Jesus Christ. Your memory isn't shit. Yeah, You're a liar. Well, 
you're, you're a goddamn liar. Do, do not pull back the curtain here. That's all I got going for me. <laughs> I lose my reputation for having a good memory, and what do I have left? The hell. <laughs> uh, Zach Pauga was tuning him up, and then Usman just hit him in the second round, and that was the end of the fight. Yeah. And to Usman's credit, as brutally stiff as he is and as badly as he seems to take shots and as fragile as he looks, he's never been knocked out. So his problem is not a lack of durability. And that makes this fight with with, uh, Junior Taffa really weird. Because Taffa has also not really been knocked out. He's been leg kicked TKO'd once. And then he got he lost via two knockdown rule. But that is, you know, that's not gonna be here in MMA, and Usman is not necessarily going to land repeatedly enough that if he hurts Tafa once and can't doesn't knock him out, he's gonna be able to just recreate that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I have the feeling that we are in for five minutes of these dudes landing brutal shots on one another. And then 10 minutes of absolute slog. I, yeah, think I, I flip a goddamn coin. I think I'm going to take Guzman just because he's so much, he's clearly much bigger. Tafa, I mean, maybe is Tafa taller? Tafa is 6'3. Usman is 6'2. Um, but Tafa looks, he's, he's skinny fat. Like weirdly skinny, especially compared to to Justin. Yeah, Tafa looks like he would probably be a light heavyweight if he yeah. got took the time to to really like get in shape. He really looks like he should be a light heavyweight. Yeah. Well, what did he weigh in last time? Do we know? Let's see. He hasn't fought in any UFC related events. Risen Ryzen forty. He weighed. It just says his weight was heavyweight, 264.6 pounds. I really, but that's just a conversion of 120 kilograms. I can't believe that he weighed in at that. Uh, He looks much more like a guy who weighs 230 pounds. At the uh, Brave FC event, he was 227. Okay, that that tracks. That, That looks right. He looks like a dude who would really just lose a little fat and would easily make 205. Yeah. So I'm going to pick Tafa, or I'm going to pick Usman rather to just be able to hold him enough to win. Yeah, after, sure. You know, after five minutes. Maybe he gets knocked out because Tafa will just, he'll throw like three or four punches at a time in the pocket. He'll be right there to get cracked in return by a huge wild hook from Usman. But I just think neither guy is probably going to get knocked out. So, yeah, it looks like an absolute mess of a fight. I mean, yeah. w- welcome to heavyweight, folks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll take Usman too. Whatever. Usman opened at plus two thirteen and is currently at plus one hundred two. Tafa opened at minus two forty five and is currently at minus one hundred eight. Explain yeah. those odds. I mean, for some reason, they have people, now closed to where they make sense. But why did yeah. they open so wide? I don't know. I don't know why Junior Taffa would have been a, 
a reasonable favorite on anybody's radar. Uh, and yeah, beats me. Yeah. So who knows? He doesn't look very good, folks. No. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Francis Marshall, William Gomes. And uh, he's going by Francis now, huh? Wasn't he Frank last time we talked about him? I don't know. Maybe. I think he was Frank Marshall before. I think he was Francis, but he looked um, like a Francis. Well, I don't trust your memory for shit anymore, so yeah, I'm going yeah. to go ahead and assure our fans that he wasn't formerly Frank Marshall. Okay, yeah. Frank Marshall in Connor's memory. Uh, Francis Marshall, William Gomi. Um, I mean, this should be fun. It's yeah. feather, it's featherweights, you know, can't be that bad. Marshall is a, um, you know, I recall last time we talked about him, I, 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 I sort of liked the look of him offensively. Yeah. Marshall, he's a complete wild man who is basically, he's clearly been trained up to pay no attention to your opponent. You go out there and you put it on people. Yeah, I mean he's not and he's not just a formless wild. He's no. he's wild in that he's he's super aggressive. He wants yeah. to put hands on people, but um he does, you know, he leads with his jab almost every combination. He doubles his jab. Yeah. Uh he's got decent shot selection in general. Yeah. And um and uh and he can do a couple little tricks with his timing. You know, he'll throw some feints in there. He'll 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 put some throwaway punches in there in the midst of his combinations. Yeah. Uh, very offensively minded, but he doesn't mind getting hit in return. Not and at all. Like he, seems, he has really taken that to heart. The idea of like, just don't pay attention to your opponent. He's, yeah. He, he gives no mind at all to getting hit in the face. Yeah. So he's got the courage necessary to put the hands on his opponent. Yep. And he seems to hit really hard. Yep. So, so he's a pretty, fate. Yeah. A pretty solid little uh, little featherweight prospect with a lot of room to grow. Yep. But at the moment, uh, an effective puncher. Yeah, I mean, you got to love fighters, a young fighter. You know, the, the hardest thing to train into somebody is aggression and confidence. Mm-hmm. So dude has tons of both. From there, it's just a, can he learn technique over time? Yeah. And then in comparison, William Gomi is a super weird fighter. Yes. Uh, who still has, by the way, one of my favorite topology photos. Have you seen this? I've, I have seen it in the past, but I don't remember. It's very understated. It's just, it's just swag. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's a very, <laughs> like... <laughs> it looks like, it looks like an, like an R and B album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is like an Al Green face. It really um, yeah, and um, but Gomi is a is a very strange fighter compared. Marshall's like what you expect out of your sort of run of the mill, somewhat promising young MMA prospect. Yeah. Gomi is like a weird Muay Thai guy. He is a, I would say he's he's a select a strike fighter. Yeah, um, maybe in sort sort of the same way that like Randy Brown can be sometimes. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, not as crazy, but um, Demolador, like my, m- m- uh, Michelle Pereira. Yeah, where like the heavyweight just, version of that is like Dontel Mays. Yeah, where you just, you know, he, he'll pull out something random and cool, and it's like really fast and powerful, and yeah, he, it's not connected to anything. It doesn't, there's no fl- fluidity to it. There's no real ability to chain it to anything else. 
Yeah. But those single strikes are really cool. And yeah, and it works because he's very yeah. relaxed. Yeah. Um, and he's an accurate striker. So, yeah, he'll do these weird, like, uh, like soft cross punches where he just sort of steps out and then uh, sees the punch coming back at him. And he just completely abandons his stance so he can look really smooth while mm-hmm. getting out of the way. Uh, he loves to do the Muay Thai uh, pull defense to, like, high kicks and just sort of yep. lean casually back. He's very, I think, enamored of his own slickness. Yes. At some point, there will be a rude awakening. <laughs> I think um, it might be this fight. It could be this fight. I will say that Gomi's one saving grace, uh, and why I think he hasn't paid for these sort of this um, cocky, like lackadaisical defense already, is that he's a pretty strong clinch fighter. Yeah. He actually has a Muay Thai clinch. So he will be. Um, like he does a really good job of fighting grips, whether it's wrist control or collar ties, overhooks, controlling his opponent's arms and leveraging them to create openings for his knees. He actually does uh, actively try to break his opponent's posture with his his collar ties. Um, and he's got a couple nice like tie style foot sweeps and body lock takedowns, too. Mm-hmm. So this is a good safety valve for him when people just kind of crash through his. Uh, his easygoing uh, bubble of space. But it does really feel like Frank Marshall's so single-minded that he is going to just find every single opportunity to punch through that bubble. Yeah. And, and Gomi is going to be run into the fence way too early in the fight and spend too much time there. I think a big thing, too, is that one of the things that was notable against Jarno Aaron's uh, who wants to be a similarly aggressive st- uh, fighter to Francis Marshall. Yeah. Uh, one of the big things for Gomi is that he also is used to being a little bit better a wrestler than mm-hmm. a lot of his European opposition. You know, he could be the guy to to hit the takedown, to be, you know, a bit like uh, Faris Ziam or yeah. Nasadine Imovov. And Francis Marshall is, I think, he's pretty well trained in that way. You know, mm-hmm. like his aggression is, it is not mindless to take down threats. No. It is very much a, I know how to get my hips back quick. I will hit my own takedowns. I will be an aggressive scrambler and I will yeah. do all things aggressively. Yeah, that's the only reason I push back on the wild man label because like he yeah. is wild, but he is um, relatively well schooled within that. It's, yeah, it's no, a style. I, I, it's not. It's not. It's a style. It's not uh, recklessness. It's um, he is like a a swarmer. Yeah, he's been, and, he's been taught to swarm people and overwhelm them, but that doesn't mean that he's just relying completely on his chin, etc. Yeah, he who is he training under? He's training. Out of Pellegrino Mixed Martial Arts. So, okay. Under Kurt Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, you could mistake his style for like a King's MMA style, basically. Yeah. It's, and yeah, I just think that Gomez isn't going to have the, the escape valves, and his striking requires escape valves. It requires him to be able to fall back on control skills. And I don't think that Marshall is going to let himself be controlled. Mm hmm. So. I got to pick Marshall. Odds here. 
Marshall is the favorite, opened at minus uh, 190 and is actually still about minus 200 right now. Or open at minus 200, back at minus 200, got up as short as minus 171 and as long as minus 208, back at minus 200 at the moment. Gomi's opened at plus uh, one. 75 or so and is right back there as well having gotten down as far as plus 152 and as high as plus 184 so lines are bouncing up and down a little but marshall a reasonably solid favorite in this fight which i agree with Mm -hmm. that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout priscilla cachoeira carini silva and um this is really just kind of a question of um, is Karini Silva going to submit Priscilla Cachoeira? Mm-hmm. Because her striking is it's actually good enough to surprise Cachoeira, I think, for a few moments. She throws a really snapping front kick. They could catch her coming in and she can land a couple overhands, but she is otherwise absolutely prone to getting bullied. You are either, she can have a competitive striking battle with you. If you are dedicated to standing at range and watching her, Mm -hmm. she will go one for one with you. But if you crash forward, Karina Silva will go to the mat. You know, she is one of those fighters that is uh, confident enough in their takedown defense and defensively void enough that if you're rushing her, she's basically just going to get hit and fall down or make the decision to fall down. And then you chase, you know, Cachoeira will chase her. Yeah. And once she chases her, Karina Silva's had a she's had a fair amount of success submitting people off her back. Uh, you know, she has, uh, she had a guillotine a, against Kuihui Yan. She, or Chihui Yan, and an arm bar, and a heel hook, and a triangle choke, and another arm bar in the past. Like, she has definitely made that work. She's also... Just, you know, she's also been arm barred and submitted herself, which I doubt Cashware is going to do. No. <laughs> um, she's interestingly never been knocked out. Not that, you know, women's flyweight is known for knockout power. She's right. gotten a few knockouts herself, but mostly against terrible opposition. Mostly, I assume, a tried of TKOs on the ground. She had a, a head kick at one point early in a fight against... Cynthia Nunez, who never fought again. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Otherwise, probably a trite of TKOs. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I see some TKO punches, fight. TKO elbows. Yeah. These speak to uh, a certain kind of. She did uh, drop Pollyanna Botelho before submitting her. That was a club and win. That's true. Um, But I wouldn't, you know, if, if, for, if, Given a swarming brawler, 
my guess is Karini Silva is going to end up on the mat. It's just a question of does Cachoeira get herself submitted because she's incredibly capable of doing that. She has no mind for her opponent's offense when going to the ground. Yeah. I'll pick Cachoeira. I don't know. I'll pick the person that I trust to land the punch that hurts somebody over the get the submit get get these Hail Mary sub. But it's 50-50, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think normally in a matchup like this, I would favor the person with a grappling advantage. I just, I don't think Cachoeira is a very strong grappler. No, she's a terrible grappler. At all. Like, uh, it's not just that she will make mistakes. I just think she doesn't know what to do on the ground. Yeah. And and normally I would pick um, a fighter with Silva's obvious grappling advantages in, the, in a dynamic like that the problem is is like a lot of her groundwork is off of her back yeah no it really is like in the absence of any way to force the fight to the ground then you have like you know not great but like solid enough strikers like ji yon kim out there genuinely struggling with cachueta like yeah who, who has gotten a lot more disciplined and a, a lot better at just choosing her spots and shortening up her combos and respecting the shots coming back at her. Yep. Um, and with those is still a dangerously powerful puncher and a big woman. Yeah. Until unless Karini Silva drops somebody or until she herself gets taken down, she really makes no move to take a fight to the mat. Yeah. That is the concern. Yeah, that's that's a lot of why I'm picking against her. Because, like, Cachueta can, like, tune up Jillian Robertson on the feet, but then Jillian Robertson's going to make her grapple. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it would seem like such an obvious win left on the table for Silva not to try to take Cachueta yeah. down. Like, even if she doesn't do it normally, she's got to, right? Yeah. I'm going to take her. I'm going to take right. her. I, I, I refuse to consider the idea that she would fight Cashweta and be like, and, and just refuse to even try a takedown. Just run yeah. it in clincher and see what happens. You know, like, yep. I, I'm going to pick Silva. All right. That's fair. Cashweta is the underdog here. Opened at plus 140, plus 150 or so, and it's currently plus 163. And Karini Silva opened at minus 170 and is currently at minus 185. I guess. I'm just, you know, uh-huh. I don't like Karini Silva's game. No, me neither. I mean, I like parts of it, but yeah, it's very dysfunctional. Yeah. All I, right. like, her tech, I like her technique a lot more than I like yeah. her game. Yeah. That brings us finally to a Bantamweight bout. Brady Highstand, Dana Bacteriel. How far into the fight can Highstand get before he gasses completely? Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> really the question. I mean, the reason he gasses is because he's really terrible at everything that isn't wrestling. Yeah. And he does too much wrestling. Yeah. It's kind of a twofold problem because he has no apparent ability to control the pace uh, of wrestling exchanges. Like, nope. he, he can't, he doesn't look for rides. 
He is constantly like transitioning and he makes a bunch of really bad grappling decisions. Like, yeah, um, he, will, the, he will get to a control position and then immediately try to advance it. Yeah. Or give it up, like going for a yeah. submission or something. He's trying to be like a submission artist as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he will like give up what looks like a strong, uh, a strong like back ride for like a, a, a belly down arm bar and then lose it and have to get back to his feet. And you can see in these scrambles that he's a good wrestler. Yeah. Because he does get back to good positions. He has the mindset of someone who, who, who it would be great to see a fighter who's like, yeah, I don't care about taking risks. I'm going to get back up anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, eh. um, those kinds of grapplers are really fun to watch. Yeah. But uh, it exhausts him, and then it compounds with the fact that every moment he's on the feet, he's incredibly tense and does not know what to do. Yeah, his striking is really bad. Um, and Bat Jarrell has a has has a left hook, and he has a left hook and how to deploy like a truck. it really well. You have what? Yeah, and he hits like a truck. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's he's a devastating puncher. Um, yeah, I I really instantly favor Dana here because. Uh, as much as, I mean, I think he himself has had some issues with gassing out, but he's yeah. a lot, he's a lot more directed in what he wants to do. And yeah. I also do not see high stand being comfortable with somebody who is instantly going to put him on the back foot. Yeah. And it's also got to be notable that high stand in his, uh, first two UFC fights, one of which he lost, one of which he won, they were very much against fighters who could not hurt him. Yeah really standing so he even so once he got gassed he had a lot of opportunities to uh just keep himself in the fight past the point where uh he really should have been in the fight still yeah but if you go back like a couple years before the ufc and there he is against chad and helliger uh, pretty hard punching, scrappy brawler. He was also in the UFC now, and you know, not not great, but fine. And suddenly, there's a knockout loss in round three, mm-hmm. and that feels very much like a performance that Jareel can replicate. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna pressure him. He's gonna put hands on him. I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Kyung Ho Kong's uh, grappling that like clearly won him the fight. Yeah, against Dana, it was the fact that Kong is himself like a pretty, in fact, a very solid range boxer mm-hmm. when he has a mind to. Uh, without that, the grappling alone, he would have gotten smoked. Yep. Uh, real. Opened at minus 173, currently minus 130. And high stand opened at plus 154, currently plus 125. That's a little too close for me. High stand does not. He feels like such an unfinished product right now. Yeah. So. All right, now, everybody, stay tuned for more of our bonus content. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.
Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right, we're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows which are now ad-free. Please give us your email, and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today.